You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Michael Thurber. Michael is a musician and a composer who overlapped with me at Juilliard and who's really come back into my life over the past four or five years. He's an incredible performer. He's passionate, extremely focused, and just a fun person to be in the room with. He's had an extremely varied artistic experience. He's interested in a lot of different things, and I'm really grateful he agreed to come on and share. Coming up, he's hosting his variety show, Thurber Theater at Joe's Pub, on April 26th at 9.30 p.m. And this is something he does where he brings together a wide variety of musicians who he finds inspiring, and I'm excited to check it out. I've never gotten to go in the past. His website is michaelthurber.org, so you can find more information there. And stay tuned after the episode for one of Michael's tracks, which also features past guests from episode 85, Yara Travieso. So thank you for sharing that, Michael, and I hope you all enjoy the 112th episode of The Compass. But the place that I always start is what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Oh man, what a question. You know, I, I don't know, I would say it it depends on when when you catch me you know <laughs> I, lately i've been i've been open to the dark side lately i think lately my my approach to it has been uh this idea of um i, th- I think charles bukowski actually talked about this a lot of different people talk about it in their own way but he's somebody that comes to mind and it's this idea of like after you have a big you know, output of some kind, like after you you perform at a big performance or you write something that was really important to you, you know, you pass something big artistically, mm-hmm. then you just, you, you have to, you have to pay the piper, so to speak, like that has to recoil, that energy has to come back in some way. And so sometimes just sort of closing the blinds and sitting in your house and just moping around for a day or two actually Lately, that's been really effective for me. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of indulging in it, actually. <laughs> so what does the dark side feel like for you most often when that happens? I feel. I think it feels like, for me, it's a balance. Um, I guess, uh, you know, when you're writing or when you're performing, it just takes so much energy out of you, you know? And I think you, you, you could work your whole life to try to figure out 
um, how to work more efficiently or how to work um, in like a more structured way to like lessen the blow. You know, and I think that that's, that's worthwhile, like trying to explore process and stuff. But I think at the end of the day, it's just such a monumental feat to create a work of art or to get on stage and have the, um, the bravery and the courage and the confidence to stand up in front of other people and, you know, embody something, embody yourself, embody a character, whatever it is you're trying to, to do. That takes so much energy. And that's such a... Um, emotional and psychological risk that I, I feel like no matter how distilled um, your craft becomes, no matter how developed you become as a craftsman, um, there's there's an inevitable depletion that happens <laughs> after that, you know, and I feel like um, after years of trying to deny that, you know, I think I, I, I find myself a little bit more at terms with that because I, at least in my experience, if you do deny it, it catches up on you. You know, if you're always trying to live at a high level right, of... Right, be on all the time. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah. It's impossible. Now, I know that you're a performer and a composer. Have, you, have those always been two parts of yourself? Or do you find that it takes a little more, a little more energy and a little more risk for you to perform or a, a little more risk for you to give someone else the ability to perform your work? Yeah. And the the you know the hands off you have to do to give them that freedom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, big yeah. I I I find that one feeds the other, you know. I I can't I truly can't imagine doing just one because I think um if you stand up to perform or or sit down, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> if you if you go out there and you and you you want to perform, first of all, I think that's something um that's something inside of you. Like for me personally, it's something that I've had in me since I can remember. It's just a way of identifying on earth. You know, it's a way of um, existing for me. I like to have people looking at me. I like to be the center of attention sometimes, you know. Um, and, and, and so I, I think, you know, yeah, in that way, it's just something that's very inherent in me. Um, but you know, when you get up there, you're, you're, you're creating something. Even if you're singing a song that somebody else wrote or you're playing a role that somebody else wrote, you, you are creating something. I mean, you are bringing so much of you inevitably because your mouth or, you know, is the, is the one that's opening up and that's, that's what everything is coming out of, you know, and your body is what it's all coming out of. And so in that way, I feel like creation is inherent in performance. And then I think on the other side of the coin, you know, if you sit down and uh, stand up versus sit down, <laughs> if you sit down. It, my whole process really depends yeah, if, if I'm sitting on or the standing. orientation of my body to that's the earth. Right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, if you if you go to write something or create something, you know, in that way, like I do as a composer or a songwriter, it, you, you have to have an idea of what somebody goes through on the stage um, in order to write something that's realistic, you know, right. in order to write something that's going to resonate in any kind of way or is going to be able to sustain the um, the trauma of birth, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like you could have a great idea, but unless you craft it in a way that it can sustain actually going out into the world and being bulletproof in a moment of you know, somebody coughs or somebody gets up to order a drink in the middle of this moment you've created. Mm -hmm. And if you've really crafted it well, it can sustain those 
the trauma of real world. <laughs> do you know what I right. mean? The imperfection of the real world. Right. But you could never do that unless you have an idea of what those moments are like in a room, you know, and, and what it's like to be a performer. So I guess, yeah, maybe in like a macro lens, I would say that yeah, the two, the two, I look at them as two sides of, of one coin. And for me, they've always been the same expression of my personality, just sort of different manifestations of it, I guess. Right. What does your family make of your decision to be an artist for your career? They've always been really supportive. Yeah. You know, I got very, very lucky um, out of all the lotteries that we pull in life. You know, the, I got so lucky with my parents. They're just awesome really awesome people and they've only I'm not I have an older brother who's also awesome it's a really good family dynamic and that I mean wow like talk about the ultimate blessing and the ultimate privilege to come into the world around people that you respect and that respect you and are just reasonable people you know they have (laughs) you know I feel like that's the most beautiful compliment you just gave them (laughs) like it shouldn't be out of the ordinary but that's a really beautiful thing to say about your family (laughs) (laughs) no you know what I don't think a few years ago I would have said that but now I I agree it's not something that you should say but it's such it's a rare trait yeah I feel like it's something I'm valuing much more in the world right now (laughs) me too me too my friend but yeah they're, they're just really very down-to-earth very very love uh oriented people just really open open-hearted folks and intelligent and so they were always really supportive of it um they also they they sort of raised me in a way i guess that they they were always sort of hands off you know and i think that was sort of a reaction to me too like for whatever reason since i was little i always had an idea of um, who I thought I was and what I wanted to be doing, you know, uh-huh. and so I think they're they're very empathetic and sensitive people. So I think they sort of reacted to that and said, "Okay, well, this kid seems to, you know, have have a drive right. or have a direction. So we're gonna show us what you're gonna do." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we're just gonna kind of kick back and see and see what you do. So I think when I started to get into music, they, you know, we we were we were living in the Midwest in Indiana at the time and. I don't have any artists on either side of my family. I have very artistic people, um, artists like in a true sense, but but career artists, none. Right, right. So I don't think, I, I honestly, I think if they would have known more about the industry, they might have discouraged me more, <laughs> you know? But I think it was actually a blessing for me because yeah. they were just like, oh, he's into music. That's great. You know, go go make music. That's wonderful. And they, I mean, you know, my mom used to, I mean, the, the really formative memory I have in my life is like my mom driving me um, hours to orchestra rehearsal and to private lessons because the little town that we lived in didn't have um, a big orchestra or a big cultural mecca of any kind, not just an orchestra. There were, there were no jazz clubs. There were no mm-hmm. theaters. Um, you know, the, the, the only immediate culture that was sort of 
um, you know, artistic culture that was in the, the town were like bar bands that would play like Jimmy Buffett and stuff. And that's right. actually had a huge impact on me as well. But that's a different, <laughs> that's a different podcast. You know, that's somewhat surprising considering the music man yeah. in Gary, Indiana. It's not yeah, <laughs> Gary, Indiana. Yeah, I know. I know. But yeah, but so I have this, uh, I have this really distinct memory of my mom driving me to all of these rehearsals and she was so uh supportive and so dedicated to you know she saw that i really enjoyed it and so she would she would drive me all over the place to these rehearsals yeah and and she was the one that helped me find out about interlocking you know i had no idea that that existed and she was like well you know you should you should do this and you should pursue that and when i was in high school even before interlocking i had gone to public school my whole life and she, uh, you know, when I was a freshman, I was really unhappy in public school. And I said, you know, I want to drop out. And she was like, well, you can't drop out, but like, let's try to find like a home school for you to do mm-hmm. or something. So she's, she's always been, uh, my dad as well, but, but my mom was really, you know, she, I, I think she, she has a background in theater and, and in the arts. She never did it professionally, but I okay. think she was kind of excited that I was <laughs> wanting to pursue it as a career, you know? Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do they get a chance to come out here and hear you do stuff live much? They do. Yeah, they do. They they try to, I mean, they're both retired now, so it's a lot easier. So like in the last two years, they've come out, you know, pretty regularly, which is so beautiful. And it's such a trip for all of my friends here <laughs> and like my community here to meet them because they're always like, oh my God, you guys look the same and you talk the same. And, you know. <laughs> but yeah, they, they come to my shows at Joe's Pub and they came to see Twelfth Night at the Public. Oh, and yeah, yeah, good. it's really beautiful. Yeah, I love that you've made this um, foray into theater. Yeah, you've been me, doing me it for too. a long time now, composing <laughs> for plays and yeah. appearing in them as well. Yeah, it, wow, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. You How know? did that first get started? What's it like for you to compose music for a play that's already? Well, I guess you you're, you you said you're working on some new plays now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you've done a lot of Shakespeare and stuff like that too. I have. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was honestly, it's it's, I, I don't. I like so many different artistic mediums, but I would say theater is definitely one of my favorite. Um, and I think it was sort of inevitable that I would wind up involved in it, um, especially, you know, musical theater as a musician, because it's just, it's, I, I really believe that it's it's the only, uh, first of all, it's such an American art form. Mm-hmm. It's such a, a bastard of an art form. You know, it's <laughs> it's not really accepted in any one of the straight mediums right, do you know right, like right. just drama or just music um it's like considered lowbrow by everybody but people are obsessed with it, it exactly yes and within it it's like this incredible like beautifully upheld you know like <laughs> spiritual thing mm. um i love that about it the highbrow lowbrow quality of it and it's just it, it's such a high art form in the sense that it, it demands so much of you. You have to have an understanding of narrative, mm-hmm. um, of written and sung, spoken and sung word. Mm-hmm. You have to have character, an, uh, ca- character uh, music composition, um, not to mention just all of the rest that goes into theater of staging yeah. and everything. So I, I, as a guy that's always been interested in a lot of stuff, I feel like it, it really makes perfect sense for me to be there. Um, and somebody that was performing and writing um, it it's a craft that lends lends itself to that too. But I guess how it really got started was um, meeting Sahim Ali, a director here in the city, 
and meeting uh, Terrell McCraney, a playwright. Mm -hmm. And those two people I met fairly early on, and we were working on a project that ended up, you know, dissipating with busyness and all of us sort of went our own ways. But through that, I became good friends with both of them. And they both gave me my first professional opportunities in the theater. And through them, that was sort of how it all, you know, unfolded. I got to know the folks at the public through Terrell. And then I would say as a as a writer, all of that really was in some ways from Sahim's tutelage. You know, he was sort of a mentor in that way because he, he saw my musical talent and my talent as a performer and as a communicator. Um, but he also knew that I never studied theater. And mm -hmm. so he kind of helped me sharpen like a lot of things as a performer but also as a writer you know and we would go together even though he had already gotten his master's in theater at that time we would go together to uh the new york library and watch all of the productions from broadway you know so we would watch like every different version of cabaret that oh, that's awesome. Is, yeah, and, and like every single different version of, <laughs> you know, Carousel and every different version of all the Sondheim revivals. And, like analyze them. Yeah, yeah, and just study together. And that was so, that was, I mean, looking back on that, that was so special because like for two grown-ups, quote unquote, you know, like not in school, we were in the working world and we would literally just carve time out to do that, you know, once a week or twice a week and write shows and you know work on them together and this was before we were getting workshops or readings right. or anything um so he yeah he was a huge huge uh influence and help and and it was really um you know just through a like a personal friendship with him it was less about work and more just about like we, we were getting such a kick out of each other and, <laughs> you know and we just enjoyed each other so much that uh, that was sort of how it was all born. And then, yeah, and then from there, um, started to meet the folks at the public, and they they were really, again, like the first... If, if those two were the first individuals, the public was the first institution that sort of ushered me in. And, I mean, they took huge, huge chance on me. I mean, the first show that I did there as a composer was in the Ansbacher, and it, I was 25, Wow. You know, and it was a joint production with the Royal Shakespeare Company. It's like, that's not oh a smart thing to do. <laughs> it's not smart to hire a 25-year-old to do that, you know. But it was, you know, it was so formative for me. And I am I will forever be thankful for that. And, and also, it's kind of how the public was founded. Because, you know, Joe Papp used to do that with directors. He, you know, all George Wolfe yeah. and Michael Greif and all these yeah. people. I feel like... That, yeah, that used to be the norm a lot more. Than and it now, is now it's kind of, I don't know if it's like with the elitism of the industry or a, a sense of scarcity, like a lot of people don't take as many chances anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I Or like the older generation not wanting to let go of the reins at a certain point, but... Sure, sure. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's complicated. I think there's so many, who knows, so many variables that go into making what it is now, but... But that was I'm a sure pocket. Most, most of them lead back to finances. You know, they, yeah, they're sure. trying to make money and they want a name who's already established. Or of course. Yeah. And they don't want to. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. It's so expensive nowadays. It's like part of me really can understand that and empathize with that. It's like they, you know, we as artists are taking so many risks and are so, you know, beat around and just 
taken advantage of in so many ways. But on the other hand, it's like they really have a tough lot too. We're really all in this together. Yeah. Their their thing in a lot of ways is actually way scarier because it's like they have a lot of people's money on the line and they're like, yeah, just give us this and we'll be responsible with it. And it's like, wow, that's a really difficult situation to be in. But yeah, it was like a glimmer of hope because uh, that was, you know, and it's one of the many reasons that I really respect the public, but they they really, um, they showed that level of risk-taking and generosity on me. They've shown it in a lot of people, you know, but but they did for me. And so that was, you know, a very roundabout way of getting back to your question, <laughs> which was how did, how did the theater thing begin? Yeah. When you're starting a collaboration like that where, like, you're working with a director who might not have much of a background in music and um, is trying to communicate to you what they're thinking or what they want. How do you approach those kinds of relationships or like the very beginning of that process? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's different every time. I mean, uh, I think at the core of it, to go back to what we were t- saying with my parents, I think being reasonable, like being, being a layman, um, being very pedestrian, I think... Um, you know, on a, in a deeper way, I think that that's sort of what theater is all all about in some ways, which is why it's it's so beautiful to me is that it's very of the people, it's for the people, right? And it's by the people, you know. But I think being um, just sort of a down to earth person helps with those multidisciplinary collaborations because, you know, uh, people might not have the right terms; they might not know to say oh, that's like a major seven chord with a sharp 11, or that's a crescendo, or, you know, maybe just two violins there instead of the whole string section. They might not be able to say those things, right. but they're artists, and they're they're very smart, intelligent people that have a great idea of aesthetic. I mean, hopefully, or else, you know, then that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> the play's going to have other issues. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, maybe, so that's the other, th- I guess maybe the first thing is, is like, like... Trusting the team. <laughs> yes, yes. If you can help it, don't get on a gotcha. team with folks that you don't respect artistically yeah. and on a human level. And then from there, yeah, I think it's about, like, um, sort of just translating, like always, always translating from layman terms to, to musical terms, you know? And I think some people don't, they don't find any joy in that, which is totally respectable. I mean, I think some people are just in their lane in music and they would prefer to stay there. Um, but for me, I love just the, I just, I love when different types of people come together to make something. I love this about you, that you're into so many different things and you're so curious and you're, you're trying all of them. Yeah. Like, how did, was there a path? Well, thank was there you. like a road that diverged in your path? I don't know if it was like after Juilliard or when, when you were like, oh, I don't want to be in an orchestra for the rest of my life. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Wanted, I want to not be limited in my options. You know, it is so funny that you asked <laughs> because there was, there was a very, there was many definitive a cl- a moments. <laughs> yeah, there was, yeah, there was many. What, I mean, I think. The, the one and letting yourself off the hook like that like I'm sure it's easy to picture yourself like oh this is what I set out to do so if I don't do that yeah I'm not achieving yeah I failed what or something. I said I was gonna be or whatever yes yes the 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 way that you identify all of a sudden yeah. that being violated and you're like wait I'm doing something wrong yeah those when are a, yeah when actually it's exciting and I, you can identify as all these different things yes yeah yeah absolutely oh man I mean I still I think we all still struggle with that I certainly do for sure 
for me, the big definitive moment was, um, so when I grew up, I was always into a lot of things and I was always allowed to be into a lot of things. So I was playing, you know, specifically in music, I was playing electric bass and upright bass and I was playing classical music and I was playing jazz and funk. And then I had a rock band that, you know, played the bar music of the Midwest, you know, like Bob Seger, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett and stuff. And I sang and played drums in the band. And when we'd play live, we thought it'd be cool to have like a projector. So we would direct our own videos and like project them on. So I was interested in tons of stuff. And that was always okay. And when I went to Interlochen, that was always okay. But I think moving to New York, um, it, suddenly that started to become not as okay and I think you, you know your your naivete and your sort of big bundle of beautiful stuff <laughs> at some point faces the the harsh the harsh world you know yeah. and that happened for me when I moved to New York and I think it was a combination of being in the city and also being in a conservatory and also I think just it was just that time in my life but Basically, that that came down on me in a very real way because all of a sudden, a lot of people that I respected and you know read about and stuff were all living in New York. And when I would meet these people and study with them or talk to them, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them would be like, you know, you you have to make decisions. Like, you know, you can't you can't be doing this and that. And I think when I look back on that, it was all really well intentioned because there's sort of a pragmatism and a reality to that and there's also you know you've got to have artistic integrity with whatever you do and I think a lot of people assume that you can't have that with a bunch of things that has to be very focus all your energy then you're going to be the best yes yeah exactly exactly and I I think there's a lot of truth to that but I, I still think you know what I sort of discovered was that um that focusing of your energy um, you do have to do that in one form or another, but maybe the thing that you focus your energy into on paper looks dispersed to some people. But, you know, if you know your yourself and you know your skill set, um, it's not. And, and, and I mean, the way that that kind of came about for me, the, the point in the story that I'm really getting to is when I was 19, I developed a really bad shoulder injury um, from overuse. And basically, I couldn't play. And so uh, that was the reason that I left college. Mm. Um, And then I had a really difficult period where I went back to Michigan and lived with my parents and tried to get my arm to heal up and did everything. Yoga, changed my whole diet, meditating, like, you know, physical therapy, trying to figure out what happened. And then through a wild turn of events, I had an opportunity to come back here and audition for the jazz division here. And so I did and I got in. And that was a huge triumph because I thought, man, now I'm studying this. I was in the classical division prior right. to that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is this sort of legendary opportunity to be able to study in a different division at this amazing school. And it's sort of a great comeback because, you know, I thought that this was all done. And then within six months of coming back, the shoulder injury came back again. Oh, my God. And so then I had to leave again. And at that point that was like true rock bottom for me you know i i've always been a pretty optimistic person and that was like i think that's the only time i would say that i was truly depressed um and that was true rock bottom like i went back 
to Michigan and like literally collapsed on the floor of my family's house, just like crying. And I didn't know what to do um, because I couldn't play. And also, you know, to this point earlier that you were just saying so eloquently, this idea of, you know, I had an identity of myself as a bass player, um, which was never actually true. That was always just a slice of the pie for me. But I had gone so intensely down this road of conservatory training that in my mind, I was like, well, this is all I am. And so if I can't do this, then I don't know what to do. And so it was more than just the physical thing. It was like mentally and emotionally, I was just in a really bad place because I was very confused. And even at that time, I already had the whole existential dilemma of classical arts versus, you know, stuff that's going on right now and how do you how do you navigate your way through this encyclopedia of music that goes back to renaissance music but then you're also really into rihanna you know (laughs) it's like how do you deal with all and that's already so much for people our age to deal with that we all deal with because of the internet and because of a million things like we just culture is such a fluid thing that we have access to now um but so i was dealing with all of that and the arm injury and it was just, it was very dark. So I wound up enrolling in the University of Toledo in Ohio, which was not far from my parents' house, mm-hmm. and started studying geology and psychology. So I was studying I did not rocks. Know this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? I was studying rocks <laughs> and psychology. I think, you know, looking back at it, I think like I was like emotionally like, Everything is way too complicated. Like, I need to fuck st- humans. Yeah, I need Coming to st- back to rocks. <laughs> rocks. Take it back to the basics, baby. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I started studying rocks and in psychology and stuff. And after like six months, you know, I just had that real turning point where I, um, it was like a very specific moment for me. I was sitting in my parents' living room just feeling really dark and sort of thinking, man, is this just my life? Like I worked so hard to get out of the Midwest, nothing against the Midwest, but like I worked so hard to try to chase these dreams of being a musician. Am I really just gonna fold right now? Um, and, and, and I decided no. So I was 22 at that time. And if I would, were to go back to college at that point, Um, None of my credits were completed because of all the arm injuries and because Mm -hmm. the classical and jazz credits didn't transfer to one another. So I basically would have had to start as a freshman again. So that means I would have graduated at 26. And so I really thought about it and I was sort of like, man, is that really what I want to do? Or, you know, I already know so many people in New York. I've already been through so much and you know, maybe I should just make a go of it. And and what's really interesting is that this same at this same time, what was happening because I couldn't play, was that I started taking composing and arranging way more seriously. And I'd always been writing, mm. but I'd never put that at the forefront. Um, but I couldn't play, so I would literally just listen to music all day and try to analyze the music without an instrument. You know, and and that I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was developing this really powerful muscle of my ears, you know, being able to analyze harmony and stuff, and also just developing my sound because I was listening to all the things that I really cared about and really interest me. And I started to take that, you know, writing lyrics and and writing songs and orchestra pieces and all that just way more seriously. 
So that was sort of going on, and I was just sort of becoming aware of that, and I was having this epiphany. So yeah, so at 22, I decided to move back, and my parents were sort of like, you know, God bless you, but, you know, we, I'm, I, they, they already were just like, they didn't even know how I was going to make it through Juilliard financially. Do you know what I'm saying? And so now they were like, well, if you're going to move back and you don't have a college degree, like we love you and we're here to support you. But like, you're going to have to figure, yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? Like, we're here to support you emotionally, but like, what, how are you going to pay your rent? So I got a job as janitor at DSW in Union Square. So (laughs) if you've ever been to the Union Square DSW, those, those beautiful floors were thanks to yours truly. (laughs) So I did that, and then I started um, hustling, you know, yeah. trying to find uh, gigs, trying to, to do a lot of stuff. I was teaching at the same time. Um, it was a really d- sort of blurry two years for me between whatever that was, 22, 23, and like 24 or so, where I was just trying everything um, and working really hard and waking up at 5 a.m. to get to DSW to clean the floors. And it was hard because sometimes people from Juilliard would come in and I would just be like, oh, yeah. man. like." <laughs> I know. Sometimes with day jobs, you're just like, please just keep it separate. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. This is just my life over here. I don't here. mind doing this, but just let me get it over with. <laughs> Yo, I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. But, yeah, so... Um, it was a, it, yeah, it was a very, very deep time. And honestly, I think it, it that was the, by far and away, the most important period of my development. You know, I don't, uh, I don't think anything that I'm doing now would have been possible if it wasn't for those couple years, because frankly, Prior to that, it was all uh, the stakes just were not high enough in some way. Mm. It was like, I'm just some guy that, you know, likes music and I'm good at it. Um, And I knew, you know, I always had that sort of deep feeling of destiny or fate of like, I I really want to make amazing music and I want to do this with my life, you know. But I didn't really know what that meant. I'd never really been challenged, you know. I had never really been cornered in a way where it's like, if you really want to yeah. do this. And, and what does that mean if, if you're not, like yeah. you said, if the stakes aren't high, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to really work for it. Yeah, then it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, I mean, I personally, I don't think, I don't think you're capable of your best work until you, you feel that, that flame a little bit, you know, and I don't think you're capable of being like a fully flushed out human being, you know, um, and, and maybe that circles yeah. back to like embracing yeah. the darkness, you know. I mean, it's like those years were really tough. No, um, I, re- I remember like right after I graduated, being like, "Well, you know, I've had some like small acting triumphs this year, but I made it through a year out of school, like supporting myself in New York City. Like that's not a small thing. Yeah, not know? at all. It's huge. That's <laughs> like yes, and that's not the thing that winds up on your bio. You know, it's like your bio is right, like she like, was blah hey, blah blah. Or, yeah, that's a hard thing to do. Yo, I <laughs> yes, those are the real triumphs. Those are the real triumphs. Those are like the real things that you identify with. So I completely agree. But yeah, that was that was that was sort of what happened. And then I think from there, you know, um, when stuff did start to pick up and stuff did start to kind of align. Um, I really had a deep sense of who I was. Um, not that you aren't always sort of figuring that out, of course, but 
it, it, I really felt a lot more confident in my own skin because I was sort of like, man, I, I have been through some things and I, and I really fought to, to come back and to sort of be where I am now. And, and there was like an ownership of just who I am and what I'm interested yeah. in, you know, and, and, and I didn't let this idea of being pulled apart, quote unquote, get to me anymore, you know, because that was getting to me when I was younger. Like I, I uh, those judgments bothered me. You know, I didn't like it when people said jack of all trades, master of none. You know, hmm. I still I still don't like that because um, if for me, it's deeply about artistic integrity. You know, I, it's I, I have deep respect for all of these different traditions of theater, um, of all the different musical traditions. You know, these are very real things. And I'm not one of sometimes I get branded as like. Oh, you're just like this open guy and you just like do whatever. And the truth is like I'm a very rigidly disciplined actually and I'm very old fashioned in the sense that I really believe in all these traditions, you right. know. You're not just dabbling. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really you try it, you're really I'm going invested. all in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but I'm just genuinely interested in all of these things. And I've genuinely been blessed to meet people. Um, you know, I think if you if you show earnestness and if you show um, a genuine heartfelt interest to learn and to explore people respond to that you know so mm-hmm. I've been blessed that people in these different fields have all said yeah like you can you can come over here like you can come in you know what I mean <laughs> and so then I just try to go there I mean I've never gone anywhere where I haven't been asked you know what I, like I've never beat down a door like I've always sort of just gone close to the things I'm interested in and then if somebody says come on over then I'm like okay yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) um you talked about your friend before who was the director who you guys kind of vibed when you used to watch all the shows together but do you have any other like artistic mentors that have been really important to you oh yeah so many wow 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 well the one right now um Tessa, my girlfriend, Tessa Lark, she's an amazing classical and bluegrass violinist. Right. Um, and she, you know, she was somebody that I already had like a talent crush on long before we, because, you know, she's a big deal in that world. So uh, getting to know her over the course of the last, you know, three or four years, that's been huge, um, huge impact because she, she's somebody, we're actually very similar, but her... Uh, we're, we're different in the sense that like her life unfolded in a different way than mine did and she sort of stayed on a path on a trajectory you know what I mean right. um, that's very unique because there's very very few people who can who are genuinely rooted in multiple musical traditions like she is so it's not to say that that isn't an extremely rare trajectory but it was a trajectory and she was winning a bunch of competitions and stuff she found it early yes yes so I learned a lot from from her experience and what she goes through in that world um and then also just the the way that she hears music you know she has a very different skill set than me like i really worked to learn how to like in in the music world i guess it's sort of like a jazz language but this term hear, like uh-huh. we say like can you hear you know and what that implies is like can you can you hear deeply like can you hear analytically can you hear harmony can you hear form can you hear those things um, like internally without an instrument, you know? And she, I had to really work to learn how to hear. Um, 
where she she's somebody that has like perfect pitch and and she just has a very brilliant mind and so she had so many of these things that I've envied you know she just had them for free you know and so and but then she would you know see me and she would be like I don't understand how you you do that you know and to me I'm like well what do you mean like you can hear everything you know so there's this really interesting exchange that happens and you guys are collaborating now on some stuff too right yeah yeah we play as a duo a bit we tour around yeah what's that been like for you to work with the person you're in a relationship with it man it's been awesome you know I think that was one of the things that drew us together though I think is that we both really liked each other's artistry you know so it worked um I mean, you know, you hear horror stories about that. It's honestly, it's been really great. Like we've never, we've never had like a blowout and, and it's not because of like a passive aggressive thing. It's like, (laughs) we just genuinely like, we we pretty much hear stuff the same way. And we know when it's like, oh, we should, we should fix this or we should work on that, you know? Well, that's awesome that it gives you, it gives you an excuse to spend time together too. Yeah. 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 Instead of traveling separately or touring separately. Yo, absolutely. Yeah. That was a big part of it too, was like, how do we carve time out for each other and how do we do this? You know? So yeah, that's been, that's been huge. She's been a huge influence. Um, there's been so many people like all the guys in the late show band, um, John and Joe Saylor, the drummer and Eddie Barbash, the saxophone player. It was so cool when you guys started that, just to, well, just that you're all like old friends. Oh yeah, it, no, it, it was, was beautiful. Fun that you guys got that break. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. It's like with your old buddies. It was. It was incredible. It was such an incredible thing, and it was. It was generous of John to bring us all together, and it was just. It was a really cool thing because, you know, we all knew each other from since freshman year. Right. And w- those are you know very 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 close friends of mine, and so we were in touch, of course all the time every week you know in texts and phone calls but we hadn't really worked together for years because I was doing all the stuff in theater and they were traveling as stay human um and so we 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 hadn't worked together for a long time and so it was kind of just wild that it wound up you know that we were all back on the same stage together let alone that specific stage you know in that setting (laughs) And it was honestly, I can't imagine doing that with anybody else because like the vibe was just so, it was so funny and so fun because it was just like, here we all are like, <laughs> and here's all this stuff going on around us, but we're basically all this. cameras. So yeah. Yeah. Huge audience. Um, <laughs> what was it like to kind of have a daily job? Man, it was... <laughs> and you guys like come from gig culture and suddenly you're like, have to be there every day. Well, I mean, I left. So if that tells you anything... <laughs> you made it a while. I made it a little while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it was... Is it too it, much of a schedule for you? You know, I like the schedule. It it, it was... I, I think for me, it was, it was complicated because I, at that point, had already sort of built a career as a composer. And I, I, bass playing was sort of a thought, it, it, a thought of the past, right? You know, <laughs> and it was sort of, it was sort of weird because, like, I would joke. In some ways, I felt like I was brought out of retirement as a bass player <laughs> for that gig, you know. Uh, and and so I think that's what it really came down to for me was, you know, at the same time that I took that uh, the job on the show, I had uh, two theater commissions which had been in the works for a long time. 
and were both things that I was really passionate about. And one was this solo show that I wrote for myself that had an actual production on the books. Right. So I kind of always knew that like the clock was ticking a little bit for the late show gig, you know. But I think um, it, yeah, as it, it just, I, I think the biggest lesson for me was like, um, wow, not to get too deep, but this is where we're going. <laughs> I, I think the lesson there was, you know, you, there's only so many hours in the day. And it's, it's, you really have to respect whatever job you're doing and, and you really have to bring yourself to it. And I think at the late show, there was no way that I could put that many hours into that every day and then also write the kind of show that I wanted to. And I had sort of already made like a spiritual pact to these shows yeah. that I was working on that I was really going to put myself into them. And that was really the direction that I wanted to go in. And and it was so funny because at the same time, uh, Stephen, he would always do these Q&As at the beginning of every show with the audience before the cameras go on. And he'd come out on stage and let the audience ask him questions. And so somebody, and this is something that he said publicly as well, uh, but so, somebody asked him, you know, what advice do you have for a young artist that wants to be you one day? And he basically told this story of how, like, when he was working in Chicago, uh, he was in a whole scene of a bunch of improv comics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they used to book shows without having any idea what they were going to do. And they knew that in two weeks they had a space and that critics and stuff were going to come. And so it would force them. <laughs> to figure out what are we going to do now? You know, we right. put ourselves in this horrible situation. What are we going to do? And so he said, you know, we would put ourselves in trouble. And he said, and he said, that's my advice is that you have to stay in trouble. Hmm. And that was sort of already where my head was at. But hearing him say that and him being somebody that I respect very deeply, I sort of thought, man, like that's some great confirmation to, um, to, you know, you got to stay in trouble. And, 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 and I felt like I just wasn't in enough trouble on that show. You know, it was a yeah. little too comfortable for me. Well, yeah, and that's interesting because it's always tempting. Like, even though that was still obviously a, a fun gig with good people and good friends and still creative, it could have been, like, the choice to maybe have a bigger paycheck and kind of stay in this yes. more comfortable position. Or you go out into the wild. As opposed to, like... <laughs> I'm really creating something new and that's challenging to me. Yes. Yeah. And then if you're going to do that, then you have to really get, you got to pay the piper. You have to deal with yeah. the reality of like, okay, so I'm letting that go. And now I'm, I'm going back into the, the wilderness. It's exciting, but it's only going to pay me for two months. Yes. And yeah. And so then what are you going to do? And yeah, you, you got to take that audit, that emotional audit of yourself <laughs> and be like, where am I really at? Can I, can I do this? Can I sustain this? And that, that comes and goes, you know, like I, I've started to learn my cycles a little bit and it's like, you know, every two or three years you can hustle very hard and really go hard at the creative vision um, and then you get tired. So then you have to kind of say, okay, what am I going to do now? Like maybe I'll back off of this and for a second, you know, and replenish the well and figure out what I'm doing and, and kind of go back at it. And, you know, in that kind of, that balance is like, it all comes, I think, from taking, you know, the emotional audit and, and sort of looking at your stock and saying, like, how much do I really have in the well right now? Like, how hard can I go and for how long, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the benefit of getting older because I didn't know those things when I was 23, you know? Yeah, you think you can just give everything. 
then you don't need to sleep. <laughs> so then, are you learning a little bit now about oh man taking yeah. care of yourself? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm still learning. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it, but I'm a better than I was. Yeah, yeah. Like just human stuff. You gotta sleep. You gotta. I mean, mental health is so important. Mm-hmm. I I'm a huge, huge proponent of that. You know, do whatever you have to do. Get whatever kind of you know, team around you that helps you read whatever you have to do, you know, meditate, do whatever your exercise routine is, but like block that time out for yourself, no matter what, you know, and, and I, I do nowadays, I do a lot better with that. But I mean, I learned that the hard way, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? From just, com- yeah, completely just being like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I don't know what's, which way is up, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, I still like, I mean, shoot, you know, I'm saying like I got it figured out. I don't. I mean, this past week was like a really crazy one and I was burning the candle, you know, so it still happens. But but yeah, you're aware of it. You're yeah, aware. yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I know when I need to rest, you know, yeah. and I it, I'm better at doing nothing than I used to be. You know, I, I used to get anxiety if I wasn't doing anything, um, which I think is really common for all artists. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think I realized for a long time how much anxiety I had. Yeah, yeah. But being being aware of it is a huge step. Yo, it is. Because then is. you can tell yourself like, oh, I've felt this before, and I've felt it go away before. Like it's not gonna last. Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when something... you're in the moment, you feel like it's gonna last forever. Yeah, that was something you and Ceci talked about on the the one of the Compass episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she sure said this did. great thing. I mean, I think she's so amazing. She said this great thing. Um, she was like, nothing nothing lasts forever. I mean, I don't want to misquote her, but it was some wording of that, yeah. some variation of that. Like, this too will pass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. If we're with the good stuff and with the bad stuff. So, yeah, you, yeah. you kind of, the longer you, you're absolutely right, the longer you, you, you hang out there and the crazier things happen, you start to say, ah, okay, well, if I made it through that thing, then this is probably not, <laughs> it'll probably be okay. <laughs> yeah. Is, are there any lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of? You want to tell me about? Accountability, I would say, mm-hmm. is the biggest the biggest lesson that I learned um, in maybe I, I, I've learned a lot of lessons, but that's the one that pops to mind in the last like four or five years. The accountability in personal relationships and um, accountability being a language of love. In the sense that, you know, if you really care about somebody and you really love somebody, holding them accountable um, is actually the most selfless thing that you can do, you know. Um, And I learned that from having colleagues in professional scenarios, but also friends in in family and personal scenarios holding me accountable, you know, saying, you know, you did this and I need you to know that that made me feel this way or that way, whether good or bad, you know, and then vice versa, learning how to do that um, for myself, because, you know, as an artist, I think anybody that performs on some level is a people pleaser, because that's, that's what you do as a performer, right. you want people to clap, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you want approval. clap for me, you know, yeah, and so I think, um, you know, learning how to ask for things that you need um, and holding your your friends and colleagues accountable as well, and learning that that's not like a, 
an offensive thing yeah. you know that's that's actually the way to show love because it shows that you care about them and you care about having the about yourself too yeah 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 so i would say that's that's probably been the biggest one that's had the biggest impact and then i think the other uh, now that we're talking about it the other lesson would be um Okay, so again, not to get too, not to get too, uh, not to get too far out, not to get too new it. wavy, but you know, I had this really deep experience. Uh, my parents live by the water; they live by Lake Erie, and my dad uh, is is a sailor. Everybody in his family sails, and they were, you know, like national sailing champions when they were kids and stuff. Mm. And so, so I've always had like a really strong relationship with water. And I remember I was I was on a body of water a couple months ago, and you know, watching the waves there's like a rhythm to the waves coming in on the shore. And sometimes if there's a rock or like a big boulder or something in the water close to the shore, the rhythm will get interrupted. And so what happens is um, one wave will go and the the tide will kind of come up on the shore. And then the next wave will not come in the rhythm. And so it will either come, you know, a little earlier or a little later, and it won't actually have the impact that the other waves had like it won't make it as far up onto the shore because it didn't let the other wave you know con- continue what it needed to do you know it didn't let the wave like fully uh-huh. speak you know it interrupted the rhythm you know and I, there's a million ways that you could take that but i think for me the way that i looked at that was um this idea of embracing embracing the darkness and having it not be something to be afraid of in in, in the sense that you know a wave's going to come in and when it comes in, ride it. Don't be so afraid of like, well, this wave is going to die down. It is going to die down, and then there's going to be another wave. But if you don't let, if you don't ride the wave you're on, the rhythm gets messed up, and you're not even going to make it to the shore. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like if you, you know, it's like a real balance. If you're right, like if you're waiting for the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could go both ways. Yeah. Exactly. If you're waiting for the right one, or if you're trying to stay on top of all the waves, it's like right. neither <laughs> works. You know, the only thing that truly is natural is this rhythm. I like you know, it. and it's like beautiful. That's like I, I think that's why people like sleep to the wave machines and that kind of stuff. You know, it's like it's a very natural rhythm. Oh my God, that's my dream to live by the water someday. Oh, I'll see you there. Yeah. yeah, we'll buy we'll buy houses by each other. You and Frankie can have one down Please. the down the beach. That, that's what Frankie wants. He wants to like live somewhere where we can have like a little fishing boat or something. And yeah. oh, man. <laughs> that's it. Hey, I hear that. I feel the same way. But yeah, that that was that was. That's a big one, you know, is, yeah, is letting your cycles and your rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. and really trusting it and, and, and taking the downtime to just chill. Yeah. yeah. I guess sometimes it's hard to trust that, like you said, that there will be another wave. Yeah. 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 I sometimes, think like, we get this scarcity mentality and it's like, well, what if I never get another opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It could happen. But it probably won't because like we're all still here yeah. you know like yeah. time, time keeps passing yeah right it's like we're all totally we're all still here and it, i think that's a good uh that's a, i think that's a good way of like in those moments of anxiety or of fear is to sort of be like just to look at the facts you know and it's sort of like well up until this point in my life this x amount of waves have come in 
So probably not very likely that it's going to (laughs) stop. You know what I mean? Like it's probably going to be okay, you know? And yeah, in those downtimes, you really need those. You really need those because the work suffers. You suffer. And as a result, the work suffers, you know? Um, I find like my music gets so superficial and uninteresting when I'm really tired, you know? Because it's like I haven't given myself the chance to like be sad or to be just not maybe it's not you know the darkness isn't always a sad or evil thing it's just sometimes it's just the opposite of day you know sometimes it's very peaceful Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of like wow you just need time to daydream yes whatever it is yeah and just like conk out you know Mm -hmm. yeah and and everything suffers if you don't if you don't let that happen so that's sort of a motivator like in (laughs) sort of a gross like capitalistic way is like well if you want to be good Actually, you need to, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to talk about Thurber Theater. Hey. Because I know you have a show coming up. I do. Yeah. Thank you for and asking. And I've never gotten to see it. Maybe this will be the time. Hey, um, I hope so. If you can come, I'll, I'll hook it up. So it's this show you do at Joe's Pub, but can you tell me a little bit about like what it is and what you're excited about about it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um the Thurber Theater is a place where um, all of these different people from different musical traditions and all these different types of performers can come together um, on one stage. Uh, and and it, it, it really comes from my um, eclectic and broad musical influences and my interests in different music and different people, you know. Um, which is why I call it the Thurber Theater. It's not to be just another straight white asshole that's slapping his name on stuff, you know. <laughs> it's it's just that it's very it's it's the genuinely the on, the most honest thing that I could call it. Um, world theater or something like that, I think, would be a little bit less honest because while there's music and musicians that perform music from all around the world, it's it, it really the criteria is people that I that genuinely have moved me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And have had an impact on me either personally or just artistically, you know, or represent something that is just very powerful, regardless of it, what the actual influences of it are, you know, whether it's actually traditional, you know, salsa music or traditional African music or traditional bluegrass you know i mean i don't even know what that means as an american you know it's all so <laughs> i know it's all mixed together yeah 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 and it's in, in even in those traditions like it, the music is music is hybrid it's hybridic you know by nature and so um th- that's that's really what it's all about um and it's it's about a celebration of of all of these different people and all these different types of music and finding um just a commonality of joy and and love and um, and spontaneity and, and and just a love for music, you know, and having that be what the cohesion is mm-hmm. through the through the night, rather than it being um, a genre or some sort of like programmatic theme. It's an emotional right. theme, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so awesome, and it also like doesn't. I assume doesn't divide up the crowd in that way then like you're not only drawing people who are like I only listen to jazz yes yes that's the that's the idea that's the idea and 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 again in doing that this sort of goes to what we were speaking about earlier it's it's not about um I'm actually like at this point in my life not the biggest fan of trying to like have different people collaborate 
Like that was like a thing that I was interested in a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But honestly, right now, and maybe I will be again one day, but right now I'm more interested in letting each person fully be themselves. It's not about come and like water your thing down with somebody else. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's more just like come and totally be yourself. But just do it on the stage and before and after you, people that have very different influences are going to come and be themselves too, you know, and we're just going to put it all out there <laughs> and like let it let it do its thing, you know. And for me, it's a way to write for these people as well. All the music that's presented at the show is original. So it's either my music or oh, it's people's it's guests' theirs. music. Yeah. And even if it's the guests' music, you know, it's it's I'll, I'll, I'll work with them in some way to, to help them, whether it be to orchestrate one of their songs or um you know maybe they just want some some feedback or or oh, that's or, so cool. yeah yeah or or it's a song that I'll write specifically with them in mind you know that's another big part of it for me is um after doing CDZ, I had this YouTube channel for a while. Oh I was God, really we like, have, we haven't even talked about that. Oh man, well we don't. We, I mean, we have so many fun things <laughs> to, to do talk. Episode two. Yeah, but but after doing that, you know, that was a lot about remixes and medleys and mm-hmm. covers of other people's music, and I really wanted to d- to do completely original music after that. And yeah. so, you know, that's that's the other thing that it's that it's about. But man, it's it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful night because I think in a lot of ways. It's kind of the most honest concert. Um, it seems eclectic, you know, but but I think it's actually sort of the most honest type of concert that you could put on because everybody listens to everything. You know, if you look at anybody's playlist, it's like it, everybody has their <laughs> own very personal taste, and it's usually not bound by genre, you know. Yeah. And so it just sort yeah, of seems. Yeah, they might cr- not share it with other people. That's, they, yeah. they know that they have those random albums that oh, are yes. special to them for some reason. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, Katy Perry, Teenage Dream. <laughs> love it. Love it. I mean, I'm saying it publicly right now, but love it. And yeah, we all we all have these really um, personal and diverse tastes. And so it just it started to feel a little bit like a lie to me. Like, well, yeah, we all like, you know, rock or, or classical or hip hop, but I just felt way too ADD at those shows. After like three songs of one thing, I'm just sort of like, well, there's more to me. Like yeah. I, I like you, but but I I I don't want to just hear <laughs> like two hours of just this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so yeah, that's sort of the idea behind it. Well, and Joe's Pub is such a great venue. Oh man, Shanta, I don't go there yeah. a, a ton, but whenever I do, I'm like, some it's gonna be something exciting and something really unique. Yeah, yeah, they're they're incredible. They're, Shanta, the director there, she and Alex, the associate director, I mean, their whole team, but they have such amazing taste in music and in human beings, and they just, they program such adventurous, awesome stuff. And they do, you know, what, what the public at large um, has done for me, like what we talked about. They take huge chances on, on people, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they... They they said yeah like we wanna we wanna we want you to do Thurber Theater here you know before I had even done it there you know <laughs> because they were just like we trust you and this sounds really cool you know that's awesome yeah yeah they're amazing I can't I can't imagine you know what New York would be without folks like them you know well, when you are like in an uninspired place or feeling down like are there any um, like books you turn to again and again concrete things that you reach for yeah. 
that kind of help you out? Yeah, I mean, Oprah is always amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, Oprah. You no, know, Wrinkle incredible. in Time comes out this weekend. <laughs> Does it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh snap! Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, but Oprah, I love Oprah so much. Um, yeah, you know what I do? I actually have developed sort of like an exercise. All of the so I'm really big on analyzing your influences and the way to sort of arrive at your own, um, for me as a musician, sound, but for anybody else, you know, um, your your look or your voice or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever medium you're working in. Uh, a great way to do that is to analyze your influences. So I've gone as far as like making charts and stuff, but the basic idea is it's like a variation on the idea of a vision board, but it's yeah. about going like a step deeper. And you can do that with music, like go through and make like a, a song bank basically of all of your favorite artists, then your favorite song, then your favorite measure within the song, like getting very specific. And then analyzing all of that and then finding the common threads between it all. And that common thread, that's that's you, you know. I love that. Which is actually a completely original thing that nobody's heard or seen, you know. So you could do that with the music, but the reason why I bring it up at this point is that you you could do that emotionally too. So all of the people that I'm really inspired by, like off the top of my head, like two big role models for me are Quincy Jones and Leonard Bernstein. Mm-hmm. So I've I've analyzed and looked at their music and their careers from like a business standpoint at nauseum. But when I'm feeling low or uninspired, I look at the failures in their life. Uh-huh. And I look at how they handled them. Like somebody like Quincy Jones, one that I always go back to, was, you know, when he was around my age, maybe a couple years younger, somewhere between 28 and, and 31, he took a band over, a big band, over to Europe, and it was artistically a success. The critics loved it, the audiences loved it, but it was a big band, and so it wasn't making any money. And he wound up going bankrupt and going into debt, and he couldn't even fly the, the members of his band back to America from oh Europe. And some of them had kids and stuff. So if you if you really think about the reality of that, it's like there you are. That's you know basically my age, maybe a year or two younger than me, and you're you know thousands of miles from home, and you brought sixteen grown adults out on the road with you, <laughs> and you're you're basically just destitute, and you've made them all destitute, oh and God. you're in debt, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he he says in interviews that he almost killed himself because he was so depressed and overwhelmed that he felt like he'd failed so badly. And he came back from Europe, and there was a guy named Irving Green that worked at a record label at that time called Mercury. And uh, he basically hooked Quincy up with a personal loan and a job being you know, a music director at the label. And that was actually the thing that launched Quincy Jones' career as a record executive. You know, And then he went on to become the first black record executive you know a couple years later um but it took him you know he says and again i mean these things always get more romanticized as time goes on but he says and from the books that you can read about it all it sounds like it took at least three years for him to get himself out of debt and he was working at a record label during that time so those are the kind of things that I turn to in my influences because, again, you can read those kind of stories, and if it's somebody that you don't have a personal connection to or interest in, they might not resonate. So you've got to go to your influences, the people right. that you really admire, and then find the times that they failed and figure out 
how they dealt with them and 99.9 i wouldn't even say that i would say 100 percent of the time <laughs> the the answer is the same and it's just to just keep going you know there's not any other formula beyond that it's just to just keep going you know and to think like really practically like in that instance like it's like well he had to get out of debt so it's i mean i don't know what was going through his head at that time but it certainly didn't seem like it was like i'm going to go chase my artistic dream it was like very practical right you know like i need to do this right now I'm gonna take the desk job <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i need to be a human for a second yeah. and like figure this out and uh and that you know that helps you cuz then you can build your own roadmap you know through that i mean beyond I love that. that yeah yeah it's 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 something that i do a lot um I mean, there's so many great stories of failure. There's Those are the best ones, you know? No, and I think we all realize that as we get older that the failures in our life are things we learn from the most or whatever it is. But I like that that really is a concrete thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I really, I'm really <laughs> serious about it. You apply your rigor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that way. <laughs> I'm very serious about it. I I'm like it. very nerdy about that. You know, that's like a big part of the work that I do, yeah. you know, is reading the autobiographies and, and literally making charts of my influence trying to make sense of myself you know what i mean because then it's like i think that's your protection in the world because so many things start pulling you in 50 million directions Mm -hmm. you know or trying to tell you what you are yes yes i mean even i mean as as we didn't even talk about the the acting industry i mean that's like even more than being a musician i mean you Mm -hmm. and you know much better than i do in my limited dabbling in it and it's like it's it's unbelievable um, just what's what what's expected of you in these wild scenarios that you're thrown into and you you just you you got to protect yourself and I think the way to do that is um, arming yourself with the things that you love you know mm-hmm. and then and but then analyzing them and really you know like really <laughs> making like a real tangible like, this is what I'm going for. You know, I'm really going for somewhere between this and this and this and this, because then you, you have that because then like the failures are going to happen and the successes are going to happen. But like, you're always grounded in like, this is me. This is what I care about. This is, this is what got me into this in the first place. This is what I love. This is what I'm trying to do. You know, this is very appealing to my organizational, the organizational side of my brain. Yeah. The type A part (laughs) of it. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. You can do it with everything, you know, like again, the music, lyrics, career decisions, emotional things, failures, all of it. And you can just, you can just analyze all of it. But that's what I do. And then, I mean, for books, you know, there's a number of things that I that I love to read. The latest thing that I'm really into is myths, like mythology yeah. from around the world. Um, because, you know, mythology is like the one thing that I'm aware of that uh, predates everything. It predates religion. It predates science. It's like man's first... Uh, uh, man, I mean, you know, man and woman, uh, of course. It's like the human beings' first attempt at sort of like... Making sense of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's so deep is that in some ways, you're like, oh, man, that's it's very ignorant. You know, it's like cave caveman <laughs> level of like logic. But but on the other hand, it's uh, nowadays, like with how complicated our world is right now, in a lot of ways, I think that that's actually the greatest source of wisdom because 
really, we've made things so complicated over the course of the last thousands of years. And there's very few things, if mm. you really think about it, that try to do what both science and religion do, which is like, what is happening and why is it happening? Most things try to answer one or the other, like science answers one, religion answers one. Myth is is one of the few things that I've found that tries to answer both. And it was also just they all came from a time that was less complicated than our time now. And the other thing that's really deep about it is that everybody around the world, when you look at these myths from everywhere, they're, they're basically all the same thing. Yeah, they're all similar. They're all similar. <laughs> so it's like, what? You know, it's like some Pangea-level shit. You know what I'm saying? It's like... That's actually what's going on here. You know, yeah. like we really, we really are not that different, truly. Um, we just have messed it up so badly. We've made it so complicated. And so now we all have to operate in these like really horrific societal right. scenarios. Where you know? we're all so different from each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, wait a minute. Like if you actually look at it, it's like, no. Um, so that, that, that gets a little, that gets into other mm. stuff. But I mean, I think from a place of, when I'm losing inspiration, you know, or I'm feeling dark, cool. I, I go back to the mythology because it just reminds me of simpler truths, you yeah. know. Um, and then the last question is, have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend? Oh, of man. Of any art form? Yeah, well, okay, so in the theater world, I was just telling you, I mm -hmm. literally just now came from seeing um, Danye Loves uh, in the middle at the Lark, and it was so so beautiful he's he's just incredible is it playing for a little bit i know you said it was part of like a festival or something yeah it's the bare bones reading that they do there so unfortunately it's a limited run so okay. if you know depending on when this goes out it might be done by the time it does but i still want people to know how incredible <laughs> it is in case it comes back um and furthermore he has another play that is going up at mtc this may called sugar in our wounds which is also incredibly beautiful he's just he's just an amazing writer so i would definitely recommend people getting out to see anything that that of his that goes up um terrell mccraney's choir boy is coming to broadway Ooh. which is i can't wait to see that'll yeah. be amazing um i love the band's visit uh that's on broadway right yeah, now we saw that. did you guys see it yeah yeah love tony shaloub yeah i know i know i know i know it's just, i just really love that lovely. music yeah it's like a surprising show it's very surprising and and i love um i love so many things about that show but yeah i thought it was really beautiful um so i guess those are sort of the things in the theater world in the music world um there's a few really awesome things. There's an amazing singer that I've been doing a lot of work with named Lauren Henderson, who is a jazz vocalist, but she splits her time between Miami and here in New York. And she is very influenced by, you know, her heritage, which is um, Caribbean and I feel like a few other places. So she sings in Spanish a lot, mm -hmm. um, as well as you know, the American songbook and everything in between those two things. Oh, cool. So she's she's amazing. Uh, really, really, really gifted singer. So anytime she plays, I would suggest people go and check that out. Um, there's, what else? Uh, I'm thinking, there's, there's so many good things that I've seen lately. I, I don't want to, oh, oh, here's a great one. There's an amazing guitar player and singer 
who's going to be at the next Thurber Theater in April. Um, his name is G. Will, and he plays in the subways. Okay. Uh, that's how I met him. Uh, he, he plays all around, but it's usually at 42nd Street, Times Square, and, and Grand Central. Uh, but, but he plays in other places, too, Penn Station and stuff. Um, and he is an amazing, amazing guitar player and singer. And he's been playing in the subway for years, so I had walked past him all the time. And then finally, just last spring, I heard him, and I was just like, man, this is too good. And, and it's <laughs> like you could just hear, you could hear somebody's personality in their music, you know, and it was just so soulful and it was so uplifting. And so I just went over to him and I just said, like, you know, this is beautiful. And sure enough, of course, he was just like this really beautiful person. So I asked him, I said, do you want to come and play with me at Joe's Pub uh, at Thurber Theater? So he came and he played at one that we did back in May. And and it was just, it was such a beautiful confirmation of like music and the arts being um truly something elevated and truly something like important and a true reflection of it's true human expression because it was through hearing him play that I just knew the it was going to be cool like you know what I mean like I knew it would be a good uh yeah. a good hang you know so so that's I would awesome. yeah so I would and that's <laughs> the beauty of G Will is that he's down in the train like generously playing just so you can just go and hear him you know so I would do that, you know, anytime you're in the train, Keep if you, yeah, if you see G Will, like take your headphones out and just like enjoy yourself for a minute. Um, and remind people one more time, what's the date of Thurber Theater? Oh, April 26th. April 26th. Okay. Yeah, at Joe's Pub. And if you come out, I'll, I'll give you a big hug. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thank you so, so much, much. Yeah, what a joy. I'm so glad I finally got to do one of these. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's the best. If I told you once, I'll tell you again. I'm in love with you, baby. I want to be more than friends. Something about the way you make me feel. I know it's real. Now, I lost it once. Won't lose it again. I know it when I see it. You got that special something. There's a magic pushing me from deep inside. I gotta make a stand. I wanna, I wanna be a man.
Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.